I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. Um, got lots on today. What are we doing, Alex? Well, it's your party. You started this, um, putting blame firmly in your camp on this. So we are doing today a history of sex, which should be brilliant, because uh, I think we could all do it as historians who've taken nothing but a beating on Twitter for the entire week from all of the statue-hungry maniacs. We can have a laugh and talk about some actual history. Amanda Charlin and Terence Christian are with us um, from Philadelphia. They're both archaeologists, of course. They've both been on the show before. And then we also, because we can't have a, a like, I, I'm tempted to say sex party, but not in that way, a virtual sex discussion. We can't have one without Eleni Yaniger, can we? Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can, Cannot bring the smut without inviting you. And, of no. course, cannot not invite Kate Lister either. Fabulous Kate Lister, who, of course, has written a book about the curious history of sex. Hey, Kate. Hello, nice to meet you all. Oh, this is going to be good. So I, we're just going to have a general chat based along the premise, aren't we? That we like to think we're all enlightened and stuff, but actually the second you start scraping the uh, surface of history, you find that it's all been done before and we don't know shit, um, basically. <laughs> uh, I just I want to start with this one. This is something that Terence mentioned because... We had sorry, David Davis on a while back about Charles II's Navy, and we were talking about what a little prig Samuel Pepys was. Terence, it's not the case, is it? Yeah, I, I, as a military historian, I, I adore Samuel Pepys. I think he's one of those great um, persons in, in history, uh, um, perhaps not, in, as you were saying, in his personality, but certainly how he kind of ties together so many different parts of British history. Um, but one thing that I came across recently that I, Amanda and I were talking about this, um, that uh, there's this um, this book called the School of Venus, which uh, which comes from the French, and it's I'm sure we'll talk about it more later. But uh, it's this really just body. I mean, body doesn't even begin to describe it. A, a randy, um, racy. racy, pornographic, whatever you want to call it, um, book that uh, that I mean, we read it through um, over a few days because we just kept having to say, all right, that's enough. But it comes to us from Samuel Pepys. Um, he actually says this in his diary. Uh, on January 13th, 1668, that he stopped by Martin's, his bookseller, where he saw this little French book, and he thought about buying it. Um, and then he thought, mm, maybe not. Um, but he was so curious about the the cover of it, which is a whole bunch of ladies uh, looking at, at dildos on a rack being sold by another lady, uh, that he came back and he bought it and he read it and he thought it was so scandalous. He enjoyed it, but he thought it was so scandalous that, um, that, uh, that he actually burned the copy. Um, so we don't have his copy of it. But what I thought was amazing is that it wasn't a one-off, that, that Peeps, when we get his library, uh, that his library actually contains a lot of the, the only or, or one of only a few copies of several uh, Renaissance, medieval, and, and early modern uh, pornographic or sex uh, uh, manuals. So there's this whole other side to Samuel Peeps. There's the public life of, you know, minister to the king, a member of parliament, uh, um, you know, one of the great and the good, um, diarists, uh, a librarian. And then there's this whole secret sort of sexually charged, uh, racy, um, body, um, Lothario uh, sort of side to it. <laughs> Epic really porn doesn't... magnate of the 17th yeah. century. I yeah, love yeah, it. The, the, uh, the sort of um, Hugh Hefner uh, of... of yeah. <laughs> uh, Eleanor, you go back further than that, though, don't you? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the thing with the medieval period is that it's old, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm, you know, representing like 476 up to about, you know, question mark. What do, what do we want to say? Like, I don't know. You could say 1500 if you want a round date. 
you could say 1517 if you want to go by the whole Martin Luther thing. Uh, you could see 1492 if you want to do the Columbian Exchange thing. Uh, but yeah, so medieval people, um, we've got tons of, uh, you know, their sexual, uh, you know, ideas lift over to us in from a number of works so, so you know we do have like things that are sort of pornographic you could look at just sort of like marginalia the pictures um within margins of manuscripts um you can look at the actual just kind of like sex stories they told each other for fun i mean like uh the canterbury tales i don't know if anyone's ever read it but it's just about like shagging that's it oh, really i do you know what i didn't have to do it at school and i've never made myself do it well, see, this is the thing is that everyone, because it's something that you get made to read at school and because it's old, people go, oh, I bet that's well boring. But it's absolutely, it's actually just a bunch of stuff like, like basically like bar stories. It's just bar stories about like shagging your boyfriend in a pear tree while your blind husband's sitting below. Like, it's just mad. <laughs> like, it's, it's just like sex stories and that's about it. Um, and then like, you know, we've got stuff like medical works that talk about sex all the time. Um, you know, you've got uh, courtly love literature, which is about like trying to shag people behind your husband's back. Um, I mean, well, most medieval stuff is about like trying to shag someone behind your husband's back. That's like a big part of it. Um, but you know, they're absolutely being as pe they are people, they're obsessed with sex, just like anyone else. And they write about it all the time. Um, and what's really interesting actually from it is the number of ways is that you can learn about medieval sexuality because you've got everything from penitential literature to popular literature um, to kind of uh, medical works. And there's just absolutely tons of uh, sex going on. And it's not necessarily, you know, people tend to go, oh, well, the medieval period, they're very religious, so that means they weren't shagging. And it's like, yeah, yeah I bet. Like, I mean, I don't know, man. I did 16 years of Catholic school, so I don't know what to tell you if you think that Catholics are actually really abstinent <laughs> but um you know that's that is uh, just the way of the world so um it's really quite fun because it's one of these things where it's really rich with sources and it's actually a really different way of looking at sexuality as well so it's it can be quite fun kate what's the scope of your book how far back do you go i'm kind of all over the place with it i think i'm just uh, i'm sort of a bit of a smash and grab historian i suppose um like i go right <laughs> I'm not telling myself, well, am I? Um, I, I kind of I go right back to the ancient world as far back as the sources will allow. And then I kind of, I touch on the medieval and I try and take it right up to the 21st century. But if, if I have to have a, a historical trade, I suppose you'd say that I'm a Victorianist. That's where I start, it's where I cut my teeth. So, do, yeah. you, do you find, looking at it, um, that smart has evolved? Or have, have people always um. just been dirt? Well, they've always been dirty. They've always, yeah. of course they have, absolutely. But it's, uh, the question is, like, what have they found erotic and what has, has been taboo and what has been, uh, like, the, the taste, the act of sex doesn't change. Is That's remained really constant since we first worked out what went in where and what you had to do. Yeah, but it's, it's like, it's the behavior around that that changes vastly from time to time, country to country, people to people. It shifts, it changes all the time. But we always think that, like, we invented kink, that we are the yeah. first to do kink. No, uh, no, 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 no. That's, we've, we've always been really, really dirty, kinky bastards as far back as the <laughs> Well, let us go. Absolutely, we have. I love it. Um, some, and there's, there's things, aren't they, that we think, uh, we think of as all rude. But I know there's one thing, uh, Alina, we were talking to Emma Wells, weren't we? And I bet Amanda knows about this. Um, these weird figures uh, exposing themselves on churches. And that's not considered erotic, is it? They look like E.T. I know, I'm so sorry that I scandalised you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, I'm never going to be able to watch E.T. again because that's the one I Googled it. What are they called again? So they're called... Sheila, Sheila Nagigs, uh, there's a few different possible spellings, um, but yeah, no, which of course the name gives you nothing in terms of what it really is, but yes, it's uh, generally described as a hag-like figure, so a female figure, but who's not particularly attractive, who doesn't necessarily have hair, and as I try to describe it as truthfully as possible, and she's crouching, and she's generally going in there and grabbing and holding her vulva open. I'll see. I've pro oh, yeah. possibly seen this behaviour in Croydon at some point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they, they do appear all over Europe, but the concentration of them are in Ireland. 
but there are some very uh, the ET version as you, as you described is actually from England. Where, from where's the ET one? Is that Kilpeck? It is Kilpeck. Yes. Yeah, I think Emma Tolt was telling us about that one as well. But yeah, so what's the meaning behind that? Because it's not a sex thing, is it? It's well, it's one of those things where it it might be a fertility type figure, um, but I mean the one of the sort of going. Uh, hypotheses is that it might be apotropaic, meaning that it's to ward off evil spirits or demons or death, just sort of it's, like it's a long that, isn't there? Of of like exposed flashing the vulva to ward off evil spirits. That's that's quite an ancient custom. Don't try it in public for God's sake. But it, <laughs> <laughs> we have different yeah. views on yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are there's definitely engravings and pictures as well even uh, in the early modern period of like women exposing uh, their vulvas to the devil and that sort of thing and then the devil runs off because you know um the vag is scary uh, and very powerful but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, the whole idea with apotropaea is that you're basically scaring off like for like so unfortunately with that analogy it's the idea that our, our vulvas are devilish and thus you will scare the devil away damn straight do, yeah i know right <laughs> do they ever show up just out of curiosity do they ever show up with with green men in the same i've never actually seen them in the same place but i would imagine it's a similar uh type of fertility Style. Well, that is another possibility is that they are, some people have suggested that it's a, a pagan goddess. That has yeah, I really hate that one because we don't have any, we don't have any records of them before the 12th century. And so I'm like, oh, so you're telling me that they skipped over from like the 5th centuries to the 12th centuries, but it's pagan. And like, it's also one of those things that like uh, people now who think that we invented sex will use to talk about the medieval period. And anytime they want to talk about the medieval period and sex, they'll go, oh, well, this is obviously a pagan holdover, you know, because you know how against... Uh, uh, sex the churches and how the church hates sex and I'm like they're all in churches and we don't have them from any earlier so like this is one hell of a holdover if that's true you know it's like uh, but it's one of those ones that people like to point out too at the same time as they want to say that like the church was persecuting scientists you know it's like one of those mad things that like non-historians bring up. So I'm always like, no, don't even say it. <laughs> it's like when people say to Eleanor, uh, Eleanor medieval, medieval people smell and didn't wash. Yeah, exactly. It's basically like raise. It's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. I just like go charging in. I, I can't help it. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a very cute little tiny shillimigig uh, in the, the uh, basement essentially in the, the lower levels of Glasgow Cathedral in Glasgow in Scotland and it is uh, opposite a holy well which is considered now when we say pagan in the archaeology world anyway just just for the listeners we basically just mean pre-Christian because the unless unless Eleanor wants to come in and charge no again. that's right that's absolutely fine I think that that's, yeah, a, that's a great way of doing it like let's define <laughs> our terms baby that's what I'm all about pre-Christian and non-Christian yeah just just yeah kind of- just Sort of um, just just <laughs> pre, but yeah, I hear yeah. you with the the early date. Uh, one of the the interesting things with um, Glasgow Cathedral is that the Holy Well, which is considered to have predated the cathedral, is considered um, pre-Christian, and that it held sacred significance. And so, when they built the cathedral, they actually placed it supposedly to encompass the Holy Well. Um, so I think some people have also kind of thought, oh, there's a holy well there and there's also a shield and a gig, although I suspect the shield and a gig comes much later. <laughs> yeah, I would think so, given... Otherwise, it's like, I no, I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you're absolutely right. I think, but uh, Glasgow Cathedral also is kind of like a much later um, uh, edifice generally. I mean, it's a great cathedral. I always really, I rate Glasgow. I'm always going on about Glasgow, um, and, but I really like the cathedral as well. And it's right next to the necropolis. So, you know, oh, if you want to think oh. about death as opposed to sex or sex and death at the same time, nice little day out. Go see the yeah. shield in the gig. Yeah. Go look at the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as you were saying with the 12th century date for them, um, there's the one that, that we see, Amanda, almost every year, uh, which is barely there now. It was obliterated at Iona Abbey. Um, and uh yeah they give it they give it a date of just after 1203 yeah but it's, it's definitely part of it's in a rebuilt part of i think it's a window lintel or something it's, it's in the, a yeah so it's above a window so that's uh, another another point to bring up is that they tend to appear over windows and doorways yeah and what, mm. I, what i love about that one is, is that well it, as you, you were saying with the 12th century date it, it dates to somewhere around there which is amazing i didn't know that it had a you know a, a 
defined start date. Um, but they've built to kind of, I don't know when they put it in. It's, it's definitely contemporary with the building. Um, they put in this little sort of like stone roof over it too. Yeah, it's did. like, it's almost gone, but you know, we got to preserve this one aspect of it. Um, and keep oh, it as that's part so of cute. I love it. I love the, the Sheila and a gig roof. This is excellent to me. Like, yeah, <laughs> save the badge, baby. <laughs> The funny part about the little placard that describes it is it's like, uh, it can all often be uh, translated as Sheila of the breasts. And I was like, okay, so most of them don't really have breasts. And I was like, you're just glossing over the one feature that they definitely all have in common. <laughs> Which is a massive, <laughs> massive vagina on show. There's also a lot of dicks in church, though. I yeah. Mean, there's, they, that's, Sheila and the gigs, they're kind of flying the flags for vulvas. But there's a lot of erotic carvings or pornographic carvings all over church pews and things like that they're called misericords and then if you go into like york minster right up in the rafters there's a little carving you wouldn't see it of two monkeys buggering each other <laughs> where is that it's in york york minster oh, i've been there and i did not see the buggering they don't, monkeys they don't point that out very often <laughs> spoil sports i know right you're gonna um, have to tell me where it is for next time i go up there i will i will give you detailed instructions yes It'd be um, like but, when people are trying to find Lee Harvey Oswald's grave and you have to go online and get those uh, surreptitious descriptions of who's buried nearby because they won't give you the grave reference. I would tell you, interesting. First off, the monkeys, I mean, they show up in every, uh, not every, but you know, a oh, huge up. number of medieval cathedrals, which I, I love, uh, the fact that there's just monkeys galore. And I've never heard about the buggering ones. Um, so I'd have to go look closer and get past the ones that are just smoking pipes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we clearly missed the trick because when the U.S. built its national cathedral, we wanted to build a medieval cathedral and we had a public uh, competition. And all we got as one of our grotesques was Darth Vader on the dark side of the cathedral. And clearly buggering monkeys was an option that nobody actually you know, weighed oh, in. Oh, nobody did their research. You could have had yeah. vaginas and buggering oh, monkeys and you just got Darth Vader. Yeah, it's, you know, we missed the trick there. But yeah. it's interesting, isn't it, that we think of the church as stuffy um, and no fun, historically, but actually they're, they're all over the sex stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, like, they are also having a lot of sex even when they're not supposed to be, and, like, we know this for a fact. Um, like, they're constantly kind of, like, writing about the problems that monks, mm. they have, like, getting monks and nuns to stop shagging, or, like, to stop sneaking out and shagging and, and doing this sort of a thing. We've got, um, you know, there's uh, really wonderful people that we've got records of, for example, there's this uh, woman, Joan of Leeds, who I stand forever. Um, and we know about her because she was in a monastery up, in, well, a nunnery, sorry, up in York, and uh, she ran off one day. Um, and the way that she did it is she faked her own death by uh, putting like, she faked that she was ill and then kind of like, like covered up a bunch of sacks or something with clothing like hers, somehow almost got that like buried alive. And in the meantime, like ran off to shag apparently like just kind of like blew out of there and like it was received wisdom everyone was saying like oh yeah she went off to quote unquote pursue the way of carnal lust so they're like I yeah, when you just got an itch you've yeah. got to go scratch it right yeah and we've got no idea if they found her or not we just know that there was like a bit of a manhunt for her like look out for this and she was like excommunicated and you know the whole thing was that you needed to drag her back to the nunnery where you know she'd broken her vows from but like she wanted to get it so bad she faked her own death which i think is like <laughs> next you know we can't really complain about anything during lockdown yeah like, i mean it's been a few weeks so, no, I, I live in leeds so i'd like to say yeah little has changed bigger <laughs> <laughs> What you're saying about the nuns and and uh, and priests getting together? I mean, um, as as we talked about in, in previous podcasts, uh, you know, one of my weird uh, um, sort of weekend hobbies is going through old laws because the law is a is a funny, consistent record that usually throws up just insanity. And um, and one of the things that that I when we get past the medieval period, just barely, just you know, first part of the 16th century, um, one of the consistent legal records that you get from church trials is, uh, is priests and nuns getting together and, and also nuns getting together with other nuns um, using, uh, as, as they put it, artificial implements, dildos and the like. Um, and they're tried and, and killed for it. They're executed for it. So yeah, I mean, the church is a, is a randy place to be uh, no matter what side of the, uh, the cloth, whether nun or priest or, or monk you're, you're on. And even, even if they're not doing it with each other, a lot of the visions that early Christi Christian mystics had were intensely erotic in nature. There was um, 
an Austrian Christian mystic name was Agnes Blambikin. I think I might be pronouncing that wrong, but she had a profound vision that she had Jesus's foreskin in her mouth. That was her vision. And, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And she kind of confessed this and she was uh, like regarded as this saint because she had had a vision of Jesus's foreskin in her mouth. Was it attached to Jesus at the time? I don't think so. No, it's because it was called the Holy Pupus. The idea that, that obviously Jesus would have been circumcised and being Jewish. So then, what happens to the offcut? That's and there was a whole thing <laughs> randomly ends up falling into a nun's mouth somewhere. There it did. So there's right. like there's something like in the medieval period at least i think there were about 13 different competing uh ones around europe where they're like no we've got the foreskin no we've got the foreskin i we think emma the... wells told us 31 churches the other day oh yeah it, said they had would, it that would make sense because i'm one of those people who just mixes up numbers all the time so uh, uh, yeah i'm pretty sure uh, she said it was over 30 different yeah, churches claiming the, they had it i agree with her um and not myself <laughs> Uh, way, way too many whatever the number yeah is. yeah it's more i mean unless he was just <laughs> extremely blessed you know it's just like dicks dicks instead of toes who knows but um like it, it's also really common and like recurring um ecstatic fantasy for nuns to have where jesus will come down from heaven and marry them and put his uh mm -hmm. and he'll put the the holy precipice on their uh finger like a wedding ring and then they get married and then there's like um, an ecstatic Jesus orgy. Um, so there are a lot of times, a lot of like overtly sexual fantasies uh, about Jesus. So sort of like um, kissing Jesus on the cross or Jesus comes down from the cross and kind of making out. Um, and it's really interesting too, because a lot of the time, as uh, Kate was saying earlier, um, these sort of like erotic visions um, will have like really explicit um, kind of like S&M overtones uh, where, you know, it'll be there'll be a lot of um, emphasis on the fact that Jesus is really beat up. Um, he's kind of bleeding everywhere. And it's sort of like the eroticization of aftercare almost uh, you could say. And so there's like this, Oh, he's so beat up. Ooh. And now I'm like kissing him better. And that's like a big erotic thing that um, medieval people are into, but it's also considered holy. Um, so there is like this really fine line, like, you know, you and I would read it and we'd go, oh, seems kind of sexy to me. And they're like, I don't know, man, I think this is pretty holy. And you're like, okay, well, you know, however you read it, baby. Um, let's move away from the church. All around history, you've got, uh, I'm thinking of like Casanova. What do we actually know about Casanova and what's, interpretations of him are they accurate well we know quite a lot about casanova because he published his own memoirs and yeah quite meticulous detail whether or not he was telling the full truth is is slightly up for debate but he's one of those those figures that kind of he's his legend is now kind of eclipsed him as an actual person i mean if you if you go back through his diaries i forget the exact number but the the he's only slept with around about 100 women you know and i say i say only i shouldn't say that maybe it's 150 <sighs> You know, Tom Jones is just laughing at that number. You know what I mean? I mean, what's that today? That's like a busy weekend. It's like, you know. <laughs> well, I need, to, there, I need to move to Leeds. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it right, baby. Uh, but he was, he's kind of been known now as this sort of like legendary lover, but he was a lot more than that. He was a, he was a sort of a philosopher. He invented the lottery. He, you know, he was a revolutionary. He was a re like an intellectual but he is and a sort of a, a libertarian, but he is known very much now for putting it about quite a bit. But he's a fascinating character. If you read back through his diaries, he thinks that oysters are erotic. He uses them as an aphrodisiac along with chocolate. He uses condoms. So he's a very big proponent of safe sex. But obviously the condoms that he was using were absolutely shit because he had syphilis and gonorrhea and a whole host of other things. But he was What were they made of? Well, the ones he's using are made of linen. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. not going to work, yeah. is it? No, it's absolutely crap. So he's using ones made of linen, but he's really, really keen on condoms made in England uh, called English raincoats. And he says that he won't use anything else. And an English raincoat would have been animal gut that would be kind of like washed out. So it's like a sausage skin. And you would tie that onto the penis with a bow or a piece of string. And then it'd be washed out and reused several times. Nice. I mean, is that, is that the beginning of contraception or do you go back way, way further? Oh, no, you go much, much further. I mean, the kind of the, the dilemma that sex always throws up, isn't it? Or at least, you know, penis and vagina sex. Is it, it's loads of fun, but you might make a baby. Yeah. So there's always been this kind of, well, how do we try and control that? Can we control that? That's, 
yeah, so that's always been with us. But it, it, historically, it's been pretty shit. <laughs> Contraception. Like, uh, there's obviously, there's the um, not foolproof, and don't do it, but the pull-out method goes right back to, to day dark. We'll just try that. But then there's yeah. other stuff, like in, there's ancient Egyptian papyruses that uh, recommend make, using a pessary made of crocodile dung and honey and putting that inside the vagina before having sex. I bet it's, a man thought of that because no woman's going to mm, volunteer that. It's mm, yes, although some studies have shown that it is would have been acidic, so it might have had some effect as a uh, killing the sperm. Oh, who's going to so, admit so, that they so, tested so, it though? Just don't, don't find a crocodile. Don't just don't. <laughs> buy a condom. And I, and I have to say that uh, from from the male side, um, yeah, there might be something to that because the the male alternative was this uh, horrendous like. Uh, sap resin boiled down goo that uh, that you basically spread along the penis and uh, and apparently uh, according to contemporary chroniclers that we get from the Greeks and the Romans um, but it probably as, as you're saying goes back to the Egyptians because um, the tree was certainly around I think it's um, I want to say it was like Cyprus or something uh, that um, it, it apparently stung like the Dickens it's like later sort of uh, um, post-medieval uh, VD treatments you know like mercury syringes you know one of these things that just makes you howl um so i can definitely see the um yeah the, the guys uh, who are most likely wielding a, a, the bulk of the uh of the power at that point um saying yeah that crocodile dung thing that's probably got some legs to it. i don't know if this one's really working yeah, <laughs> yeah you're saying that and, I'll, and all i'm thinking of is um was it your grandfather's memoir or somebody else's memoir that from world war ii that was talking about well, yeah, as, okay. as, so we, we need to, there's we need no to, video here. So as, as Terrence looks at me horrified as if I'm insinuating. We need to specify here. It, it was my granddad's memoir, but we need to specify that um, as, as many of us who study World War II will know, uh, when one person in the camp got VD, it was frequently easier just to uh, treat everybody. So there's no, no record of him getting it uh, because he was at that point engaged and, and uh, he certainly wouldn't have written it down at least. Um, but it seems that the entire group got uh, got treated, and um, so as he says, his one experience with uh, VD treatment was one that should not be repeated. Um, and uh, and it's, I mean, yeah, I mean we can go down the STD route at some point, but uh, but certainly as you were saying, the the pessaries are. I mean, every time I read about those, you know, I, I'm not a medical doctor, but geez, that just looks ripe for infection. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound particularly healthy thing to shove up your vagina. No, I, I don't think many of the things that they were coming up with was, uh, you know, given that you should put nothing up there, really, yeah. apart, <laughs> apart from apart from possibly a penis and and a tampon and a doctor's finger if it's in a glove. That kind of it didn't mean anything other than that, and you're in weird territory, aren't you? So, but like the the stuff that they, you know, like douching, that goes right back to the ancient world as well. And by the time you get to the 18th and 19th century, they're starting to put things in water in order to swill the vaginal canal after sex and they're putting things like um like bleach in there and Ouch. yeah right and and floor disinfectant lysol lysol floor disinfectant was regularly used as a vaginal deucing agent right up to the 50s but yeah so the stuff that they were coming up with was just i guess it's testament to how much they didn't want to get pregnant but yeah it was it was mad stuff but just, not all of it can have been completely insane because there was um was it a herb in ancient Rome called sylphin that, that, that they used so much that it became extinct, which kind of suggests that maybe it had some effect. They used that as a uh, almost like a birth control. Yeah. Um, what about stuff like Eleanor? When you came on before and we mm. did the medieval um, women thing, yeah. everybody was really taken by the idea of the medieval dildos. And Terence mentioned that they're <laughs> in the stuff that. Um, peeps had so i'm guessing that's another one that's as old as time is fashioning something in the shape of yeah definitely um i mean and amanda and terrence can tell you more, more about this than i can but uh we definitely know that stuff that like looks like dildos <laughs> ends up in graves um and it's really hard to tell if these are actually like dildos or if it's just some kind of like phallic object that looks like a dildo and it's got some other significance there because i mean but then it, 
on the other hand, me going, but maybe it's not a dildo. Like that's a super like contemporary perspective, right? Because I'm like, because no one wants to be buried with their dildo, right? Or like <laughs> we would think that was weird, right? But then on the other hand, I'm like, maybe they did. Maybe they just like loved that dildo, and you know, they want. Maybe it was it. like a status thing. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be, you know, and I'm not best qualified to pursue that one. But I mean, definitely, we know that uh, dildos were around the shop just from receipts and things like that, you know. Um, so dildos, yes, extremely. <laughs> How many yeah. have you guys dug up? <laughs> uh, well, there's so many interpretations. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly the, um, as far as the status symbols go, um, you know, we can talk about that in a second, but uh, yeah, they definitely become uh, really luxury items uh, in the uh, 17th and 18th century. Um, but as, as far as whether they are luxury items before that or functional or, or uh, kind of uh, um, magical, for lack of a better term, I mean, they go way back into deep history of the saying, and Amanda's uh, certainly a better place to, to talk about that. My, my first introduction to um dildos or poss possible sex objects, as it were, uh, was in my art and archaeology class of Cyprus. And my teacher just put out this picture and it looks like the, the bottom part looks like a little animal that's got like sort of four little legs and then there's a neck that goes straight up with a head of sorts, not like an animal head, but you know, like a penis head. And there are these stone figures and they're from the Calculus, which is about 30, the 30th century. BCE, so a long time ago, and basically one of my classmates just said, so how would they use them? And he just said, so go check out this website called Ann Summers, and you'll get some ideas. <laughs> oh dear. Oh yes. There's also these, uh, these little figures called the Idol of Pomos, and if you look them up, the, the, the thought, archaeologically speaking, is that they're, they're idols, potentially. They come in different sizes. We know that people used to have little tiny ones that they'd wear around their neck because there are idols who are actually wearing their, their, an idol of themselves around their neck. And if you look at them in Pomos, P-O-M-O-S, uh, they are little sort of cruciform figures, but again, these are prehistoric. And... Uh, they have a very longish neck with a, with a very bulbous head. And so it, it has also been suggested that perhaps that was also like, like Eleanor's saying, it's like, is it, is it not? Well, but it, uh, it looks suggestive anyways to the modern eye. <laughs> what was the book? Are you all familiar with the book that Terence was referencing earlier on? Cause didn't you say that you and Amanda, mm -hmm. it took you like, a long time to go through it because it was that like oh my it, god yeah it's, it's about four days it's the school of venus which amanda can give you the french because it comes from the french um, yeah. my, she, she cringes whenever i try and pronounce anything Bless it's your heart. the school well, of girls really. isn't it it's yeah exactly yeah. i mean it, uh it's a uh, the french is l'école des filles which basically means the girls school and uh it really is basically just like a this is how you do it. This is how you, how do we feel about swearing on the podcast? We're fine. Okay. Uh, this is how you get yourself a fuck friend and they actually yeah. use the word fuck friend. And this is written back. It's, it is a French text that was written in 1655 and then it's translated into the English sometime around 1660. Um, but yes, all kinds of. But it's like a textbook, right? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
so this is the big debate. This is uh, we we found interesting to actually to read it, um, both from a male and female perspective, mm. because the big debate, depending on who you talk to in the historiography uh, of modern scholars, they'll say either that it's a book. I mean, it's definitely a sex manual. The question is, is it a manual that is uh, pornographic titillation in nature for men? Uh, reading it as kind of like, a, ooh, this is what ladies get up to, you know, the classic pillow fight and pajamas uh, trope uh, mm-hmm. that Hollywood pulls out quite a bit. Um, or is it an actual sex manual that's basically women speaking to women, um, which I automatically find it weird me saying this with Amanda sitting next to me. It's, that's not going to go well in the future. Uh, I'll apologize to all women listening to this for the perceived mansplaining here. Um, but uh, the... Um, what a, it, it may be a female-to-female um, instruction manual when one doesn't really exist. Um, and it apparently is quite popular because it gets translated and, and spread around Europe. Um, there's only a few copies that still exist, though, because uh, of revolutions and, and puritanical ideals kind of expunge it. Um, but the reason we found it interesting from the guy's perspective is that as we're reading it, um, you can see that there's a part in the, in the text very late where it gets really graphic, really aggressive. The tone uh, changes. It's, it's, it is a, a paragraph shift. And, and we don't have access to the French copy. We're curious whether the French copy actually contains this or if it's an English addition uh, to the text. Because even as a guy, uh, you're reading it going like, oh, this is very interesting. And you hit that paragraph and you go, oh, no, that's written by a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the whole, the whole sort of story is, is you've got these two ladies and one lady is... Um, sexually accomplished if you will and then the uh, the other is i believe it's her cousin and yeah cousin or, uh, or or sister-in-law or something like that it's, it's a family yeah, relation it's a family yeah. relation and and she's a virgin and so basically it's kind of set up with the one woman um helping the other uh the other woman basically get a sexual partner um and then they just talk about like the different things that she and like her crush tried and how he was quite gentle lover and okay so he tried to penetrate in a certain position and that didn't work and that was kind of painful so they tried something else and it's all these things where like i'm reading it and i'm just like uh, you know and i'm just like it's you know it's actually quite like yeah okay that's all these things quite quite resonate and sort of like i could see all of these scenarios happening and then like parents is saying then you hit this this paragraph shift and the language that they use to describe women and describe like their sexual urges and stuff just switch and basically really like vilify women in a sense. So I really do feel that potentially the first part is written by women mm. and then the that that part later in the text is written by like an incel horrible person. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just that kind of like okay uh it just it just seems so it's just like yeah like a plot shift where you're like okay so it clearly it really just got good. handed on to somebody else who didn't have the same uh dramatic interpretation of what was going on and, yeah. it, and it doesn't really uh from i mean i, I can't back reject my own uh um, feelings onto onto the past uh, but uh but just from an observational standpoint um you know and, and many other uh, historians and and literary experts have pointed this out as well, that uh, the manual itself is, um, as I recall, it's in two parts, and I think it's that classic sort of three or four part uh, um, structure, um, act structure, that um, it is a dialogue. And, uh, but then at the very end, there's this really kind of um, useful, quaint, uh, um, adorable in a uh, like, huh, I didn't know that it kind of existed way. That's kind of nice. Um, somebody went through and they actually indexed it. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're having, uh, and this is the, the, the debate as to what it is, if you're either looking for that part that, uh, that, um, you, you know, really, you know, got your rocks off on as it were, um, you can go back to it really easily. Um, but equally if it, if you take it as a, as a female sex ed manual, um, then it's almost like a textbook where you could say, oh, you know, you were asking about this question. Oh, that's on page, whatever, plate nine, you know? Um, so it doesn't really define itself as to what it is, but, um, you know, Amanda's saying, how's the podcast swearing? Well, the book is very comfortable with swearing. Very and, comfortable. Uh, um, but it's, it's fascinating, the different, um, we were talking earlier about the, um, the variety of, of, of ways people saw sex in the past. And, and this book kind of, um, I think, opens that up, that there's packaged in, the, in, the, in one paragraph, um, I'm giving a ballpark figure, there's probably like eight, nine, ten different ways that they're actually viewing sex, uh, love, relationships, um, partnerships, um, desire, all in, in one 
uh, one small discrete exchange. Um, it's, it's, it's like a Randy version of Pride and Prejudice. You know, this woman's basically talking about this, this man she's been chasing. Um, and it, it, somebody who grew up watching Pride and Prejudice, uh, um, you know, on loop, uh, uh, that, uh, yeah, you had to watch it every single Christmas. My, my sisters adore it. Like, like most women love Mr. Darcy. <laughs> and and it, that's what resonated with me is that it's, it's this kind of like secretive, like, um, what I'm, I feel bad saying this, but what all uh, women look at Mr. Darcy, it's like, oh, that's what's running through their head. Oh, there's sudden clarity as a guy. I totally get it now. Interesting. Eleanor and Kate, what about you? What some of your favorite sources? Well, I mean, I've, I've read School of Venus and um, yeah, it's interesting to hear different perspectives on it. I, I don't think it's written by a woman. I think that's very much get your rocks off for men. I think that it's kind of because it's, it is quite shocking to read something like that from that period, but it's not actually geared towards female pleasure that much, I don't think. Like the, the kind of whole thing is just, um, you know, that the penis brings loads of pleasure. I think that that's kind of it. I don't think it talks about the clitoris that much, you know, so that, that kind of makes me work, hmm. So I'm kind of definitely leaning on the, it's more for titillation and, pornography than it was an instruction manual although i could be wrong do you um, see that shift as well in language in it did you notice it's, that? well it's, it's an aggressive it can be an aggressive text but unfortunately like one of the the, the nastiest things about looking at erotica and pornography throughout the years is that, that sexual violence does tend to feature quite prominently in it and it's emphasized mm. quite a lot that's you get an awful lot of that from romans right up to the victorians so it's but yeah, there is, there is a shift and it becomes very aggressive. Um, but it's a fantastic source and I recommend anybody to go and look at it, just if only for the drawings, which are spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> they are amazing. Right? They are. <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely incredible. Uh, but as for sources, things that I look at, so I think um, maybe the thing that I'm enjoying looking at the most is James Joyce's love letters to his wife, Nora. Uh, James Joyce, the, the famous Irish poet, is if anybody wanted to have a look at those, so if you like, you imagine that the, like the sheer weight and genius of James Joyce just, just focused into writing the dirtiest possible smut that anybody could ever conceptualize and you'll get those letters. That honestly, they are incredible. Oh, he, wow. They're so filthy. Like he calls her fuckbird at one point. <laughs> fabulous. And he, I don't know how he manages to do it, but he manages to write about her um, shitting herself and farting and masturbating and it's still somehow quite tender and loving it's like only James Joyce could do it so I just honestly just anybody just google James Joyce erotic letters wife and you'll get it and it's just it's just spectacular so I can't yeah please go and look at that it's amazing Eleanor Oh gosh, I mean, it's where to even begin with this, but um, I'm really into like, well, what springs to mind? And one of the things I've been doing a lot of reading about um, lately is medical literature. Um, and the reason I think that it's interesting in this discussion when we're talking about uh, the school of girls is that uh, one of the things that kind of comes up a lot in uh, medieval medical literature um, is talking about wanking. Um, and there's this massively different approach to the way that they think about um, men wanking versus women wanking. Mm. So for men, it's like, it's a very, very serious sin. It's called onanism. Um, and it isn't just that it's a sin, um, you know, medical literature, medieval medical literature will certainly uh, discuss religious things at times. Um, but they say there's a really um, real danger with wanking for men. Um, well, you know, male body people, sorry, everybody. Um, but for people who like uh, ejaculate semen, because ejaculating semen is seen as like a really big uh, kind of depth like a depletionary act. Uh, it takes away from men. Um, it kind of uh, it draws out heat. Um, and for this reason, men have to be really, really careful about having too much sex or wanking because if they ejaculate too much, they'll become cold and they'll become like women, um, which is, you know, obviously terrible because women suck, obviously. Mm. Um, and so there's there are multiple, um, you know, warnings about you definitely definitely don't want to wank and um, there will be all these medical treatments for it and mostly what they say is that you can uh, do things to your diet to make you not horny um, so one of the things that you want to do is you want to avoid uh, food that makes you flatulent uh, because it's thought that um, erections uh, have 
are, are some sort of a result of heat and air. Um, and so you avoid things that would make you flatulent because it, that is also in, in a kind of response to flatulence is getting an erection. Um, the other thing that you can do is just kind of like try to change your thoughts, try not to think about sex, but definitely, definitely avoid wanking. For women, on the other hand, doctors are like, yeah, girls need to wank though. Uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it, not married women, you understand, because it's like the minute a woman is married, she sort of ceases to exist on her own and instead is kind of like thought of and conceptualized within the marriage and doesn't necessarily have sexual needs outside of that, obviously, because <laughs> women aren't even people, am I right? Uh, but... For young girls, it's sort of thought that um, they need to uh, regularly orgasm um, because there's a different ways of conceptualizing it. Some people thought that uh, women had sperm as well, so there was kind of like a female sperm and male sperm, um, and that like female sperm, there's a lot of debate back and forth about whether or not it aids in conception or if it's just sort of like um, something that exists. It's obviously not as good as male sperm, oh, which rules, uh, but that was conceived as something that could build up and become poisonous. And there's all these kind of legends and warnings in the medieval period about something called the venomous virgin, uh, where it's a woman who has had poison backed up inside of her so badly that she's sort of like a basilisk snake and she can like turn things or poison things with her gaze. Or if you touch her, um, you'll be poisoned and die. And that's because all of these humors have built up inside her. So the way that you get rid of that is by masturbation. Um, but the weird thing about it is it's like, again, a bunch of literature written by dudes because every time they talk about masturbation for women, they're like, you know, they'll think about dicks and they'll like, use their fingers and or they'll use dildos and everything that they talk about is like a penetrative sex so they're like well women will do these things um and it's it's good and they need to do it you know uh it, it's not great ideally they would do it without like thinking too many lustful thoughts but they need to get this poison out of them in order to get to a state of equilibrium but the way that they relate to it is that is that anytime a woman would masturbate, she would necessarily be kind of miming penetrative vaginal sex. So it wouldn't be like, you know, we would think now, like they basically almost never even talk about the clitoris ever, ever, ever. It's just okay. like, oh yeah, the way that you have sex is just P's and V's all day long. What's a clitoris? Who knows? And women are definitely just like making dildos and going to town and that's how they masturbate and that's how they should. And this is the way they talk about girls girls being defined as women up to the age of 24 uh, for some reason. It's like men stop being boys at 14 and women stop being girls at 24. So that's chill. Uh, but then that whole consideration goes away once women are married. Uh, but there is this kind of like a different way of thinking about masturbation and a ways of conceptualizing sex that we do sort of see throwbacks to in the, the school of girls. But it's um, obviously coming from this medieval mindset. Wow. Um, uh, do you know what, just because this is me, Kate mentioned earlier on that um, you obviously you don't see the act of like P's and V's as Eleanor refers to it, evolving much. It's been constant all the way through history. But what have you guys found in your research or in your archaeology um, where you look at it now and it was something that w was once considered the hottest thing ever and now we would look at it and think, what? I was just going to talk about sodomy like I always do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so I, I suppose that the, re the reason I'm going to talk about sodomy like I always do um, is because, I mean, for medieval people and a lot of times ancient people, that was considered the really good sexy stuff. Um, you know, sodomy being defined as anything that isn't uh, penis and vagina sex. Um, so, you know, there's all these warnings in the medieval period because, again, sex is supposed to be this necessarily procreative act. There's all this worry about if dude's semen goes in the wrong place because semen's so precious and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so there's this real kind of tension about, like, you shouldn't be having sex that isn't going to necessarily lead to babies. And so as a consequence, medieval people are like, I love sex that doesn't lead to babies. <laughs> you know? so they're like, and for them, it's like, ooh, this is naughty, you know, like, and uh, Jesus Christ, they're just hankering for a hand job like that's just for the love of god just like a please do like touch me with your hands right um they're also really into uh, we see also in the uh, medieval and um uh in the ancient period as well a real interest in uh frottage or um interfemoral sex so there's like a lot of um, emphasis on just putting dicks between legs 
Um, and that is something that we like barely ever talk about anymore. And it also was very closely associated with sex between men, like interfemoral sex. Um, and now anytime that like we talk about sex between men, we're just always like, oops, straight to the anal, you know, but um, there's this whole like way of looking at things that is completely different to how we see it now. Cause we just go, Oh, penises and vaginas, there's your real sex. Um, and it's like the sexiest and everything else is just like a consolation prize. Uh, but for them, they were like, yeah, I like that stuff that the church will get me in trouble for. Yeah, girl, like give me a blow job. You know, I love it. Eleni Yanaga, all about the sodomy. You, you know it. <laughs> Kate, what about you? Oh, well, it, it's, I'm going to bring it down a bit, but I suppose if you go right back to the, the ancient world, um, pedophilia was absolutely A-O-fucking-K. Really? Yeah, in Greece and in Rome, and there was a real culture of, inst- well, we would now call it institutionalized pedophilia, but it was um, completely normal for a, a man to take what is often politely referred to as a younger man, but they were talking teens, really. Uh, as a sexual partner and you, it would it was like a very very established relationship you see it in um in japan with the samurai as well and, and a few other places but you would the, but the younger man would kind of almost be like apprentice to the older guy like he would impart his wisdom of the ways and maybe give him a a, a leg up for his career but it was absolutely and completely normal uh, the only shame attached to it was being what we'd now call the bottom because that was again supposed to be the female role the person being penetrated so that's where shame was attached to. And you wouldn't get adult men doing that. There was shame around that as well. But a younger man, I suppose it's all about feminizing. But that was completely normal for them. That's nuts. I did not yeah, right. know that. Yeah. Amanda and Terence, what about you guys? I think for me, um, and, and this may feed right into um, what, what both of you are saying, that uh, um, being the one guy in the room, um, for me, archaeologically, I, I think what's hilarious in, in, in its consistency is the fact that guys have a, a for whatever reason, uh, you can go to your Freudian origins if you, if you like, uh, a desire to draw dicks on everything. Um, hey, <laughs> me, me too, Terrence, all right? <laughs> um, and I mean, we see it, see it all over the place. And, and, and personally, my favorite uh, um, part, you know, we see it in Pompeii um, on graffitied walls. You know, um, it's in Second World War. You see it almost as frequently as Kilroy is put everywhere. I mean, the GIs love drawing dicks on things all over Europe. Um, but what I find really fascinating is when you get this, uh, going back to nuns and priests, is that you get this weird hybridization of, uh, uh, of monks and nuns in, in monasteries and nunneries. Um, who are clearly uh, um, either uh, bored or not bored, um, depending on how you want to read it. Um, and so they, they take um, sacred and, and non-sacred texts and they start doing marginalia. And you get this weird mix of, of you know, holy scripture and dicks <laughs> and, and different uh, uh, sexual practices that, that come with it. Um, and, and Amanda knows far more about this. She's the medievalist um, and likes to show me, you know, this is, hey, have you seen this marginalia? Um, but for me, it just, and there's just something about this like 14 year old middle school esque thing that apparently humanity has always had. Um, mm. um, Alina, I actually thought a little bit more on how did this whole topic come up? And I remember now we were talking about some of our favorite archaeology movies, some of our favorite. And I had mentioned to you this movie called The Little Hours, which came out in 2017, and it is based on the Decameron. So I don't know, Eleanor, if you are. Oh yeah, um, I haven't oh, seen it. I really <laughs> want to see it. I'm aware that it exists and I haven't seen it yet and I'm desperate I, to watch that. You, you, you just have to because I watched it without knowing about the Decameron beforehand. And so I watched this and I was like, what a weird black comedy kind of thing, which I am enjoying. But I'm like, where is all this coming from? And essentially you have, I mean, the, the original story is basically you've got seven women and three men and they are holed up in Florence because they are escaping or they're, they're basically waiting out the Black Death. So very timely that we're doing a podcast during the time of pandemic. Um, but yeah, basically they decide to, in, in the, the story, in the novellas, they decide to tell each other stories to pass the time. So there's 10 of them and they say 10 stories a day. So it's 100 stories because they do it for two weeks, but they take the weekends off and a couple of the stories are what make up loosely the little hours and basically you've got a bunch of nuns who are really trying to get with this mute gardener who isn't actually mute (laughs) um and uh and the, the other kind of story that they kind of build into it is that the gardener ended up coming to the nunnery uh no pun intended 
Uh, Boom! I know, I know, I did it. I got it in there. <laughs> because uh, he slept with a the the master's wife, so he was he was very naughty, and he had to run away. Um, but so yes, yeah, so I was like looking into these medieval texts, and then I came up with the other medieval texts, which I had known about in the sense of Marginalia Monday and like Twitter, but the uh, Roman de la Rose, so the ra- romance of the rose. Um, also looking at you, Eleanor, do you know about the romance? Oh the yeah. I, yeah. And I, you're going to talk about the, uh, nuns in the penis tree, right? I mean, I got it. Yay. <laughs> I, I decided to go through though. Cause there's always sort of like a few, like three or four examples that come up and I decided to go through the entire 300 so page document to be like, how, how many, uh, actually sort of, um, interesting pictures are there and I came up with about like 15 but uh, the first one which is probably my favorite in a way is the nun leading a monk by a chain that's attached to his penis I like it just like he deserves there we go yes yeah, I uh, love that I love that one I think that there's also um, in the manuscript that um, I hate talking about um, oh god what is the, the you know the one that everyone's always the voynich there's also um, a woman leading a man by a dick with a chain in that one and I just love that it's like a trope but um, obviously <laughs> I think that the Romain de la Rose one is better I had a door woman who used to drag guys out by the bollocks if they misbehaved in the nightclub <laughs> hey hey that absolutely she was all over that <laughs> I mean, it, it is one of those things of, you know, for, for, for some men professing to be such a, such a powerful sex, I'm like, you can be brought down by that sex pretty damn quick. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, do also a, a plug for, I actually own an enameled pin of, uh, the, oh, of a yes. nun with, uh, picking from the, uh, the penis tree, um, yes, which can be true. found um, on birchbark.co.uk. And the shop is uh, called Marginalia Paraphernalia extremely good um she does all kinds of pins and stuff um i just also wanted to shout out another one of my favorite uh, marginal penises um which is because i have a top 10 oh I, of course i do girls <laughs> like come on now uh and it's from the glasgow university library um don't worry i looked this up just now i don't know this off the top of my head okay. uh, manuscript it's uh, a hunter manuscript 251 um, and it's great because there's a thing in medieval manuscripts called manicules. So if they're kind of like trying to make notes to uh, remind themselves of a certain thing, they will often draw hands with like a little finger pointing at like the bit of text they need to remember. But this monk has drawn a dick with, with, uh, with balls and their the balls are kind of like sitting in a little basket just like cradled nicely. So it's just like the dick is pointing at the bit of the manuscript that he needs to remember. Like, I like it. In a normal like, way. I, this is what you will remember. Uh, I feel, feel bad because Amanda and I are both Glasgow University graduates and, yeah. and they did a whole uh, exhibition on their medieval manuscripts collection. And that, I do not remember them displaying that. One that. Out. They did you not know what? This is like... Cheap. This is completely unfair to both of you, and I hate to see it, but <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful, this. You're going to have to take them up there now, aren't you? Absolutely. I know, we do tend to go back every so often, yeah. so we'll just have to go up and be like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Bring yes. me manuscript 251, you cowards. <laughs> do it. Um, what, I like, what I love, though, is the fact that the phallus tree isn't just in this one manuscript, the fact that it actually shows up in like frescoes and on pilgrimage badges and on wood Mm -hmm. carving. And just the fact that like, you've got this tree with a whole bunch of dicks in it. <laughs> I love, uh, oh, because now we brought up pilgrimage baz- badges too. Um, one of my favorite pilgrimage badges um, that, I mean, obviously I stand every single dick tree, um, especially there's a pilgrimage tree, dick tree, where there's a couple having sex under the dick tree and the dicks all have little wings and they're like birds and they're going to fly off. And that's great. But uh, one of my favorite ever um, pilgrimage badges is a woman who's like uh, pulling dicks that are like carrots up out of the ground. And she's got like a wheelbarrow full of dick carrots. And I think that's great. I just think it's beautiful. (laughs) Who doesn't want to go out and collect them? 
I mean, I think it's a really interesting um, and it's a fun uh, pilgrim badges are this really great example of actually popular culture, which is something that we lack a lot of the time um, in terms of material culture from uh, the medieval period, because the sort of stuff that survives is like rich people stuff, right? Uh, because it's really nice. So people like take care of it. Uh, but pilgrimage badges are like these cheap little pewter things that are mass produced. Um, and they are often extraordinarily sexual in nature. Not always. I mean, there's a, a ton of like perfectly fine, licit, um, the pilgrimage badges, but they're testament to like the incredible sense of humor that medieval people have about sex. Um, and it's also kind of this really interesting, like harkening back to what pilgrimage for a is for a lot of medieval people, because yeah, it's definitely um, a religious thing that you're going through. Um, it's a big uh, like rite of passage, uh, but it's also like the equivalent of medieval spring break where people are like, woo, yeah, like, um, I'm like extremely like, I'm meeting people not from my village. I'm under plenary indulgence, so I can do whatever I want. And there's just like a lot of sex going on. Um, and I so, want to go on medieval spring break. I know, right? And just like, it's just like a real long hike and a lot of shagging, apparently. So, um, you know, two of my favorite things. Um, <laughs> Hiking and shagging. Yeah, like, <laughs> which are happier. Yes, it's, it's rum spring, I, uh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that it's so cute that we have these little like tourist ornaments that like, you know, they're the equivalent of like, you know, when you go like basically anywhere in Europe with a beach and there'll be a place that is selling uh, postcards and for some inexplicable reason, there's like one of a chick and her tits are painted. Yeah. It's like that in the medieval equivalent. Oh, and sounds and like I think that's beautiful more style than just a postcard though yeah true I mean that's the thing I'd like too right because we always go oh medieval people so uptight so religious it's like they're the ones like wearing dicks around being like hey, hey check out my pin you know it's like you would not get away with that now like it would just not be a thing that you could do well and you get you get weird overlaps you're saying as well like um you know with fertility there's um the dick candles that uh, that people burn on the altars in churches uh for ostensibly for fertility or impotence um, but just this idea of like, I can't imagine going to church today and saying like, oh, we're looking to have a child and I brought my dick candle. Can you please put it next to the altar? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'd like to see you try though. <laughs> but isn't there the one candle that was actually um, sculpted or, or, or yes, yeah, basically shaped in the form of her husband's uh, penis? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I forget <laughs> the record for it, but yeah, it's, it is, um, there's one very specific record that always comes up in the historiography that, you know, when you're, I'm, I'm sure the, our, our colleagues here will will know, um, but yeah, it's it's this one woman who um, who's recounted as going to the altar and, and yeah, making a, a wax candle uh, in the shape of as it says her husband's member uh, yes. and lighting it for for correcting impotence. Um, so you know, it's not the guy's fault obviously, but she's definitely. Uh, I, I don't think told him that she's probably gone to the church with a with a candle in the shape <laughs> of his uh, his member. We'll just yeah. do this <laughs> just every little bit helps. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, before we go, we cannot go because Eleanor and Kate have been like clawing at each other like she cats over who gets to do this. <laughs> I want, Which... I want Kate. I'm going to let Kate start because um, I've already been yelling it. too much. So, Kate, you go, and then I'll like start yelling about anuses and what that has to do with it in a second. <laughs> okay, give us medieval impotence cures. Well, it, it comes from the fact that in the, the, the Middle Ages, it was considered a legitimate reason to annul a marriage is um, if the husband couldn't get an erection because uh, no erections, no children, no point. So that was a legitimate ground to separate from your partner, which um, you can understand like the, the, the theology behind it and it worked out, but you can also understand how that's quite open to abuse in a culture where divorce is incredibly difficult to you get or you can't get it that you could just say well he can't get it up and then you can just separate so obviously this is widely open to abuse so in all you have to be able to prove that you can't get an erection and that creates a process that is known as congress which is where wise matrons would be invited to quote unquote test the husband's member <laughs> in full view so th i mean this was oh, I, this is just terrible stuff but it's really funny but it's not funny but it is funny so some poor guy who's been accused of it, um, that wise matrons would be called in and they would subject his member to rigorous inspection. And there is in the record of certain women rubbing their breasts and rubbing the penis and trying to get any kind of a reaction out of it. And sometimes there was, but a lot of time there wasn't. And if they couldn't get a rise out of it, then that was legitimate ground for an anonymous. That's, That's hilarious. I, and I, what I love too is just sort of like... Um, 
the that response to things like the complete um the the inability to sort of think about um the the way a dude's mindset would be here like no pressure just get a boner in front of all these women or your marriage is over no <laughs> like it would be you know totally fine um but yeah like as kate was saying since there's such serious consequences um for impotence potentially there's also like a lot of medical cures quote unquote um out there for them um and one of my favorite ones, which comes to us um, from the Arabic world, um, like most medicine does uh, in a kind of mid to late medieval Europe, um, is the idea that, okay, so um, erections are something that is caused by heat and air, as I said, um, and it's kind of like this uh, show of male virility. So if you're having problems um, with erections, what you should do is like take care to keep parts of your body warm. So they kind of like uh, recommend putting oils um, and different ointments that ha contain sort of like heat specific spices um, on your anus um, and on your testicles um, and on your feet uh, in order to keep heat in uh, during sex. And then that will help you keep your erection and then you'll be able to have children. Um, and I like that when I, I like uh, looking at the various kind of medical responses to this because it shows there is an actual real kind of scientific response to this, which is there is a very elaborate system of thinking about uh, medicine, humoral theory, um, that is a real theory. There's lots of parts to it. And they're like, okay, well, if this, then this, if this is caused by heat and air, this is how you get more heat and air into people. And there are these like medical responses to it. Uh, do they work? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe maybe guys are just really into ointment on their feet. I don't know, man. Like maybe they could do it for them. Uh, like I'm not here to like yuck someone's yum, but um, it it is kind of like interesting because we do see since there are these grave consequences to it, a preoccupation um, with making sure that this is something that can happen for men. That's harsh. Like you say, sit in this room full of matronly women, and if you don't get a boner, your marriage is over. It's quite harsh. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Tough but fair. Poor guys. <laughs> do they get another wife after that or is that, is that it? Are well, they yeah, like... you could do. That was another incentive to, to do this. So if you could just annul a marriage and separate like that, then both of you could get remarried. within the. So it'd be really it. funny if there's nothing wrong with the guy, but they desperately hate each other and want a divorce. Well, you, you could and he's trying not to get a boner. Try really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, there's... If that's the only way that you can separate from someone yeah. and marry someone else, you can see why. Think of grandma, think of grandma, <laughs> think of grandma. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like you say, I suspect it was massively, massively open to abuse. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on and having a sort of introductory chat with us about the history of sex. Um, it's really interesting. It's really lighthearted as well, which is great because it's been a bit of a week for us historians uh, and we've had some fun with this, but also learned loads as well and, and, absolutely put to bed the notion that we invented any of this <laughs> yeah hopefully roundly we will all realize that uh humans continued to get here because sex was happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've always liked it <laughs> uh, join us tomorrow we bring you dinosaurs a paleontologist Stephen Broussard talked to us about the rise of the dinosaurs the world before how they got there what was there at the same time as them um, and how they ended up on top basically so that's part one we are going to do another recording with him about the end of the dinosaurs and also on Sunday we will be commemorating the 80th anniversary of the first mass transport to Auschwitz as well so that's over 700 Polish political prisoners uh, taken to Auschwitz on the 14th of June 1940 and we will be marking that cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com